welcome to Popaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. And Happy New Year, Kate. Happy Happy New Year, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are in 24, ready to open that pop culture door. Oh. What's in store? <laughs> that was impromptu. It was very nice. You should be proud. (laughs) Impressed. (laughs) So uh, over the uh, holiday break, Kate, what uh, pop culture have you been consuming? So I mostly have streaming stuff. But first thing I wanted to talk about is American Symphony, which is a documentary on Netflix, a 2023 documentary about musician John Batista, who have you seen him live, Dad? Yes, I have. Okay. I don't think he saw me, but I saw him live. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So it's about um, Batista's journey to compose a symphony while also dealing with the return of his partner's cancer. His his now wife, author Sulika, I'm going to mess up her name, Jawad, I think, has leukemia. It went into remission. And so then after, I think, 10 years, it, it was back, which, of course, for both of them is an extremely difficult thing to go through. And so especially... It was um, really nice for me to see both of them supporting each other and and wanting and celebrating each other's creative process because she's she's an author. She also is a musician. She is exploring painting throughout this documentary, and of course, he's trying to compose the symphony that is going to be performed or was performed at Carnegie Hall in New York. And I wrote. Uh, it's a portrait of two artists at a crossroads and a meditation on art, love, and the creative process, which that was probably from Netflix. That wasn't me. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. It was really cool to see his process of working with other musicians to come up with a symphony that is that represents what he thinks America is or what he thinks it should be. So I really liked it. Okay. And I'm as of... You know, now, January 2024, I don't know if she's in remission, but Suleika is getting treatment and is still with us. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, we saw John at uh, Bourbon and Beyond. Mm. And it's a great show. He came down into the audience with his melodica uh, and was playing and uh, was leading us at one point. And if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. So he's a great great performer and um i think someone told me they had tickets to come see him in february or march and here in indianapolis so (laughs) excellent all right well i'll watch for that documentary i'm going to talk about something that's in theaters and streaming as well it's one of those deals where it's right now the rental is uh about 20 bucks right (laughs) so this is the holdovers starring paul giamatti and it's a drama set uh, at the holidays, Giamatti plays a curmudgeonly by-the-book history teacher named Paul Hunman at a remote prep school for boys in New England in 1970. The boys hate him because he's he's kind of a jerk uh, yeah. and insists on, you know, giving them low grades when he thinks they deserve it. So he stays on campus during the holidays to supervise a a group of boys with nowhere to go, including Angus, a smart, troubled kid played by Dominic Sessa. The other adult on campus, 
during this time is Mary, the cafeteria manager, played by Divine Joy Randolph, who is grieving the loss of her son in the Vietnam War. And her son was a former student at this uh, school. Mm. The Holdovers is the second collaboration between Giamatti and director Alexander Payne, who did 2004's wine country comedy drama Sideways, if you've ever seen that. It's excellent. So The Holdovers is one of those movies that begins slowly. uh, You know, it's really pretty to look at. But then even sort of before you are realizing it's picking up steam until it's rolling along like this train of troubled pasts and lonely souls and you're hanging on for dear life. You you want to see what happens next for the three main characters, but you're also apprehensive about what's going to happen next. Thanks to the richness of the script by David Hemmingson. Giamatti, Randolph, and Sessa are excellent in their roles. Um, there's already Oscar talk for Giamatti, who drew a bit from his family background for this role. His father is a former president of Yale. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, The Holdovers is a... An emotional ride, a very satisfying one. Highly recommended. Cool. As you were talking about it, I was like, oh, um, oh no, now I lost the, the title of the, the movie. Uh, I was thinking of the one with Paul, with uh, with Robin Williams. Uh, yes. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. No, that's Good Will Hunting. I'm thinking of Ethan Hawke. There's a group of boys at the prep school. And Robin Williams was the teacher. Oh, oh no. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Let's, go, let's Google it really <laughs> quick. Because I was thinking about that because, you know, Robin Williams is, he's not strict, but he's also not a pushover. Dead Poets Society. Society. Dead Poets <laughs> So not that I want to equate, you know, because Robin Williams was very talented and Paul Giamatti is also very talented i don't want to be like oh yeah like they're you know he's doing giamatti's doing robin williams like he's no, not doing G- he's not doing yeah. robin williams trust me <laughs> cool well, that sounds great i'll check it out i didn't write any notes but i'm i'm gonna take a little swerve and talk about something that i watched streaming um on new year's eve before i went to a friend's house because uh, I had some time to kill. I'm, I watched um, Saltburn. <laughs> have you heard I, about I've heard of this. I have Saltburn not seen that. it. Saltburn is written and directed by uh, Emerald Fennell, who she also wrote and directed Promising Young Woman. She's got a little cameo in the Barbie movie. She's an actress herself. And so Saltburn is about this, this young man who says he's a scholarship kid to Oxford. In the early 2000s, 2006, I believe, is when it takes place. He's awkward. He's super nerdy. doesn't have friends. And so through happenings in the school year, he makes friends with with um, one of the like legacy kids, one of the rich kids, Oliver. So wait, no, Oliver is the young man played by Barry Keegan. And Felix is the very, very rich popular like guy that's just having an you know an easy time with it supposedly felix invites oliver back to his his family's castle for the summer holidays saltburn is the the family estate and then things happen from there i did not read anything about it before i watched it 
Rosamund Pike is in it as the like matriarch. Richard E. Grant is her husband. Barry, we're gonna go with Keegan, uh, has been in a, a a few movies that are very, very good. He's also very talented. And that's all I knew. I think that that was probably the right decision because things get real weird, real fast, very uncomfy. <laughs> I don't want to say it's kind of like talented Mr. Ripley, but it, it also yeah. is kind of like talented Mr. Okay. Ripley. So I'm glad that I I didn't, you know, research before going in. Would I watch it again? I don't know. Because I keep thinking about it and being like, man, oh, that was weird. Wow. Like, I didn't see any of that coming at all. <laughs> but there's also some stuff that happens. You're like, oh, my God. No, no, no. I mostly I was like, oh, I love Rosamund Pike. And I just, you know, like, yeah. Okay. I've got time. Let's let's do it. <laughs> so would so, you recommend it then to people? I feel like I kind of if if you are. If you're into maybe kind of a slow burn psychological thing, is it a thriller? Maybe. Maybe it's kind of a thriller. I would say check it out. It, there's there's all kinds of stuff that comes into play about like, you know, wealthy versus non-wealthy, privileged versus non-privileged. Is, you know, are we supposed to hate the upper class or do they get a bad rap? the lengths that someone is willing to go to 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 get what they want for themselves so i i yeah i would recommend it with a very serious trigger warning of like it's gonna get weird and gross just know that going in okay (laughs) and that's saltburn which is streaming on i think it's streaming on prime okay I have a big name author I'm going to talk about in a moment. But first, I'm going to talk about Blue Eye Samurai, which is on Netflix. Okay. I started watching this because I kept seeing these stories that said, the best Netflix show you're not watching. And uh, it talked about Blue Eye Samurai. I'm trying to explain this show to my sister-in-law, Beth. And uh, she kept saying, is it a cartoon? Uh, well, as much as I love cartoons, I grew up with cartoons. That moniker doesn't feel like it does justice to this show, which is uh, visually dazzling, morally complex, uh, French-American adult animated action series. It was created and written by husband and wife team Michael Green and Amber Nuzami. Uh, It's already been renewed for a second season. So it's set in Japan during the 17th century, this period when the borders were closed to whites. As a result, anybody who had white blood, even part of it, were looked upon as monsters or demons by the Japanese. So half white, half Japanese Misu, who is voiced by Maya Erskine, grows up being treated like a monster because of her blue eyes. Um, As the show begins, she's an adult. She's seeking vengeance on four white men for their treatment of her mother. One of the white men is her father. Okay. Uh, As the quest continues, she picks up Ringo, who's an optimistic, handless male cook who idolizes her, as well as she comes into contact with Tegan, who's a promising but arrogant uh, swordsman who has known Misu since childhood. And Tegan's uh, romantic interest, 
Princess uh, Akimi, uh, the pampered but strong-willed daughter of a newly rich lord. Famous names in the cast include George Takai, Star Trek fame, and Kenneth Branagh. Oh. So as Miso makes her way across snowy Japan, the visuals are gorgeous. The snow, snowy landscapes and even, even the action scenes are just really, really beautiful. Character development is strong. And I liked how the show didn't make excuses for when Misu does things that you kind of go, because mm, she's so blinded to her kind of her need for revenge, right? Mm-hmm. She's blinded by uh, sometimes by what's really right, what's really wrong. That's why I said morally complex at the beginning. So Blue Eye Samurai contains bloody violence, duh, uh, given that title, sexual scenes, and some nudity. But uh, okay. very well, very well done. And if you're in the mood for an adult animated show, not a cartoon, <laughs> check out Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. Okay, I also streamed over over the holiday break. I'm doing quotations because it's everybody knows if you're an adult, it's not really, it's not actually a break. <laughs> Even if you have time off work, you're still doing stuff. I streamed the 2023 movie adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, Mm. the famous famous book by Judy Blume uh, that's been adapted and stars Rachel McAdams, Kathy Bates, and Abby Ryder Fortson as Margaret. So when her family moves from New York City to New Jersey, 11-year-old Margaret navigates new friends, feelings, and the beginning of adolescence. I... Don't know how much of our audience have read the book. I read it. I think it's one of those back when I was younger. One of those pa- rites of passage that most girls read it. But I mean, I feel like it is. But then maybe I'm, you know, maybe that's not true. Because I know also that because Judy Bloom's not just this book, but several of her books deal with you know, quote unquote, tough subjects. Right. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding her, her entire career. Because of course there are the the people that are like, no, that's inappropriate. No, we can't have kids reading this. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, which is <laughs> which I has always just been very interesting to me because like if you're not going to talk to your kids about, you know growing up and what that means physically and mentally and emotionally. But then you also don't want them to learn anything in school, but then you also, you know, like you can't, you, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think you can have a child and, and not have those conversations, no matter what, you know, type of religion or cultural upbringing or whatever, like there's, there's gotta be, a conversation and it's not just with girls it's with boys too but so anyways dad (laughs) to answer your question i think it's a rite of passage that uh that younger girls read it but then also i can understand just based on the you know political climate how there are how there are girls that are not being allowed to read it which i think is not a a great idea because it does introduce you know, not just information about your changing body, but it tackles family relationships. And the whole thing with Margaret is that her 
mother is Christian. Her father is Jewish. She doesn't know her mom's parents because her mom's parents decided that they couldn't have a Jewish son-in-law. And so they essentially just disowned Margaret's mom. And that comes back around later in the story. But so then she just starts talking to God. Nobody taught her how to pray because her parents are like, well, that's the thing that you have to figure out for yourself. We're not going to indoctrinate you into whatever, you know, taking you to temple or taking you to church, whatever, like you, you get to make that decision when you're older, which is something that my, and my co-parent decided, like, we don't want to force our beliefs on our child other than here's how to be a good person. As, as your mother and I did with you guys. I mean, yeah. So, so anyway, so Margaret starts kind of talking to God and it's of course stuff that an 11 year old pre-teen girl talks about please let me be like everybody else please let me get my period like so-and-so just got her period please let this boy like me please you know la 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 which is all like it seems like not a big deal but it's also just like that is when you're 11 12 years old that's your world I thought it was very well done it's been several years since I read the book but I really liked that it focused it focused more on Margaret's relationship, it felt like to me, with her mother and and also showing her mom's struggle with, you know, not being in contact with her parents and right. trying to figure out how to raise this kid through a tough a tough time of like moving, you know, to a different state in a in another time too, where your kid's going through so much just because she's getting older. So I really enjoyed it. I don't I don't know if it was well received, but I liked it. And Kathy Bates is is Margaret's paternal grandmother and and she's Kathy Bates. What more can you say? She's amazing <laughs> as always. Loved her. So I would say it's not just for girls. I would say, you know, if you've got some time, it's uh, streaming on Prime. Go ahead and check it out. Oh god, it's me, Margaret. I'll talk about another famous author, Stephen King. Stephen King. So his latest book is called Holly, H-O-L-L-Y, and it follows Holly Gibney, who has been in several of his his books now. She was sort of designed as a walk-on character, and then he became more and more interested in her backstory, and so she's developed. And so she first appeared in Mr. Mercedes in 2014, then Finders Keepers in 2015, and then Indivoch in 2016. Uh, And then she's a major supporting character in The Outsider. She's also the central character of a novella of his called If It Bleeds, which is in the 2020 collection of the same name. So if you don't know Holly, she's a young woman. She came from this very complicated and strained relationship with her mother, where their mother tried to control every aspect of her life. She is a little obsessive compulsive about certain things. She's a chain smoker. But the thing is, she became this private investigator and she has become more and more confident and self-insured, right? Okay, so as this book begins, her mom uh, has died from COVID. The, The book set during the pandemic. So her mom has died during COVID. And so she's wrestling with that with her complicated feelings about grief for this woman who she had a kind of a bad relationship with. And she gets this call from this woman who says, Hey, my daughter, Bonnie 
has disappeared. And people seem to think that she ran away because she and I had problems in our relationship. But I don't think so. I think something's happened to her. And because of that mother-daughter thing, Holly agrees to take the case. Okay. And so begins investigating in her singular Holly Gibney way. Meanwhile, flashbacks are showing you what happened to Bonnie, what happened to some other people in the community because of this unlikely pair of serial killers. And I should I'm not going to say anything else other than that. I will say that, as I mentioned, it's set during a pandemic and King has strong feelings about Trump and about the anti-vaxxers. Um, and so uh, people who have been vaccinated tend to come off a lot better than people who deny the existence of the virus. Uh, a lot of people were some some reviewers were bothered by how overtly po- political uh, parts of the book are in terms of that. It didn't bo- bother me. There are times when King's cultural references seem a little dated. There's a few of the plot machinations that <laughs> seem forced, <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, come on, this Really, this is this is what's holding everything back. But that said, it's uh, Holly is a typical King novel. It's an entertaining read. I blew through it in a couple of days. Uh, it's a crime novel that still manages to have some horror elements, icky horror elements, I would say. <laughs> without, icky. <laughs> without, without getting too too of those. So I think um, people who enjoy Stephen King they'll they'll enjoy the book Holly. Cool. Okay, I do want to mention over the uh, New Year's holiday, uh, we spent some time with Mike Bodie, our composer, Mike Bode. <laughs> from the show, and his wife, Mary Kay. And one of the things we did was we watched a bunch of the NPR Tiny Desk concerts. On they have a they have this screen and a projector, so it's like you're you know it's almost like yeah. you're there at in in the room with the performers. Okay, so we saw a great one that I want to encourage people to go watch, which it's Niles Rogers of Chic, C-H-I-C, I think that's Chic, who did Le Freak, they did um, Good Times, uh, mm-hmm. and then Rogers was involved in writing, producing um, stuff like Madonna's Like a Virgin album, David Bowie's Let's Dance, his song Good Times, which is... I'm not sure if that was by Freak or by Sister Sledge, but oh, We Are Family by Sister Sledge. But like his song, Good Times, was sam- is one of the most sampled um, songs of all time. And it's uh, I think it's Rapper's Delight that they they base it on. And so in this show, he they play Good Times and then he starts doing the rap. Oh, so cool. It's really cool. <laughs> and just amazing. And uh, just a uh great band and i was so intrigued that i started reading his book his autobiography which is called the freak uh, it's fascinating because he his parents he was raised let's let's say by a black teenage mother and then her white boyfriend who was really kind of a beatnik and this was new york in the late 50s and like Thelonious monk came to their house richard Pryor came to their house I'm I'm not even up to the part where the music stuff starts happening and still it's just been a great, great book. So that's um The Freak by Niles Rogers. And like I said, strongly, strongly encourage people to go check that out that NPR Tiny Desk concert. Cause you 
you'll be you'll be like dancing. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was involved in that too. That's what we kept saying. <laughs> Did that too? Wow. Cool. Yeah. So, Kate, where can people find us? People can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Papaholics Podcast on um, X, formerly known as Twitter at Papaholics. And please, if you have any reading, streaming, whatever recommendations for us in 2024, please send us an email to papaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And it's striking me since I talked about Niles Rogers that our playlist should probably be a bunch of the songs that Niles Rogers worked on. (laughs) Yeah. So that's going to be Papaholics hashtag. Is it 115 now? All right. Well, for Papaholics. Oh, well, it is. Okay. We're guessing it's Papaholics 115 playlist. So uh, for Papaholics, (laughs) I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. Bye.